Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Because you never think the last time is the last time. You think there'll be more. You think you have forever, but you don't. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis, and we are continuing to celebrate perfect episodes of television. Vanity Fair recently made a list of 25 perfect episodes of the past 25 years. And each of us have brought our favorite to the podcast today to break down why our pick gets our seal of approval. Last week, we looked at comedies. This time, we are all about the drama. Okay, so Richard, uh, I want to put you on the spot to start. Uh, we have an episode of The Sopranos on the list that we made. <laughs> it's not the one that you picked. <laughs> it's not the one yeah. that you picked. So, Richard, uh, Pine Barrens, I feel like, is often cited as the best episode of The Sopranos. You went in a different direction. Yeah. Explain yourself. I did. I went with The Sopranos uh, season six, uh, later season episode 11, Cold Stones, uh, which was written by Diane Frolov, a- Andrew Schneider, and David Chase, and directed by Tim Van Patten. It originally aired on May 21st, 2006. Oh, Jesus, you can't even talk to her. Are you fucking kidding me? You should be kissing her feet. Because when you were growing up, if it wasn't for her, I would have knocked all your baby teeth out with one shot. All right, here's a recap of Cold Stones. Tony is disappointed his son AJ lacks ambition and isn't, quote, a real man. I couldn't even hit him if I wanted to. He's so fucking little. He's come out of the side of the family. They're small people. Her father, you could knock him over with a fucking feather. But I have to point out, what you resent Carmela doing for AJ, protecting him from his father, is the very thing you had often wished your mother had done for you. Carmela is off to Paris and in a dream sees Adriana walking her dog. Your friend, someone needs to tell her she's dead. After the revelation that Vito is gay, Phil, who is acting boss for the Lupertazzi family, wants him dead. Father told me, Vito doesn't renounce that lifestyle. He's damned. I know. What? I know. Vito's murder creates complications for Tony. You know what this is, right? It's not about Vito, it's about me. Phil's saying he can do whatever the fuck he wants, including kill a captain in my own family, and I can't do a fucking thing about it. And some crude jokes about Vito by Phil's boy Fat Dom leads to an impulsive murder by Sal and Carlo. Tom, you don't want to come in here. Get back in your cargo for a ride. What? 
I picked this because I am a fan, unlike a lot of Sopranos fans. I love all of Sopranos, but um, I like the later seasons. I like when the show started to get more metaphysical and questioning about uh, existence beyond. I mean, obviously, the show is always metaphorical, allegorical. It wasn't really about the mob. Mm -hmm. But um, I think this is when the show. It's about ducks. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's about ducks and therapy. I think this is where the show Cold Stones, when David Chase and, and his, his writers really sort of force the audience into these bigger, more profound questions of being in the form of, yes, Carmela going to Paris, which contains some of my favorite lines of the whole series <laughs> ever. Um, but also the Vito storyline, which, you know, is there's a lot of sad stories on Sopranos, you know, uh, Adriana, Adriana. Mm-hmm. many other people, but like Vito's is just so tragic because the last time we saw him really, he had kind of found another life, you know, away from this, you know, and now he's sucked back into it. And um, his boyfriend seemed nice. Yeah, he did. His seem boyfriend nice. seemed nice. Was it in New Hampshire? Is that yeah, it's in New Hampshire. Yeah. And the, the, the end of the, is it I forget what episode it is where he first goes away he's at some like little antique store and uh the proprietor he picks out a vase and he's like oh that's like the, the antique the owner says you're um that's like the best thing in the store you're a natural and that's the last line of that episode <laughs> yeah. and you're like oh maybe he's okay yeah. he's not okay he's not okay <laughs> um and I think that the way that this episode balances the horrible violent finality of Vito's storyline with Carmela having this kind of awakening, but then she kind of brings herself back down to earth mm-hmm. and realizes that like she can't fully forsake everything that has essentially brought her to Paris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's almost as tragic. She's back to as, folding laundry by the right, end of the episode. Right. Yeah. And also Rosie April saying, Ma, Paris is <laughs> one for the ages. What did you guys think of this episode? So I, I'm going to come out and say that I've never finished all of the Sopranos. I started that's it. Fine. I got through three I'm seasons. I'm so sorry, Chris, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's a wrap for me. Um, I've, no, I've watched uh, three seasons in the pandemic and then life happened again. And I, I loved it. I will quote Olivia Rodrigo. I don't always have time to watch an hour 15 episode uh, of television. She just said that in Rolling Stone. But I, I do remember as a kid watching my parents watch the New Hampshire episode. Like mm-hmm. I came in and I saw the, the license plate live free or die. And I remember like the veto from then, but I never knew what happened to him because I never finished it. So this was a very interesting episode. Just personally being like, oh my God, I did not know this is what happened to this character that was sort of bouncing around in my mind from like 20 years ago. Um, but I, I was, I thought it was really fantastic. As someone who did not watch the season and didn't really know exactly yeah, what was out happening. Of, out of context, how out does of context, it feel? It does still work. It's a little bit like, I think I missed some of like the fill of it all. Like why I was like, okay, they hate him because he's gay. I feel like there was another layer beyond that that I might not know because of, you know, not knowing the show, but I could definitely follow. I could definitely got the broad strokes. Well, go- Vito was married to Phil's niece. Okay. So I think, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. so that's why he's particularly, because he seemed particularly upset, yeah. Yeah. particularly mad and going behind Tony's back and, you know, whacking him. Uh, but I loved going from, and I'm a Jersey native, Jersey strong, but going from the harsh, sort of disgusting <laughs> vistas of New Jersey and then cutting to Carmela in Paris and sort of that juxtaposition was so visceral yeah. to me and so like, the two worlds, I thought it was so fantastic. And I, I, I loved spending time with Carmela there and her sort of, 
seeing the beauty of Paris and France and getting away from New Jersey, but then ultimately being pulled back. And I really liked the Tony AJ storyline. And I think the that toxic opening, masculine. Ugh. That opening is so funny. It's so good. Like, oh, yeah. I went to Blockbuster today to rent Cinderella Man, and guess what? She's still a classic. I found out that our son, the liar, had been fired three weeks ago. From Blockbuster? How the fuck you do that? They got Reese's Monkeys working as managers over there. The Sopranos obviously credit uh, for like being, gets a lot of credit for being the best drama the TV has ever made. It's also just such a funny so show. So funny. Fired like, from Blockbuster. <laughs> fired from Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tony. Is she, drinking yeah. Beer? Is she there drinking champagne with you in her wheelchair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think that juxtaposition, Chris, is uh, it, when, when there's a shot of Paris, I think it's maybe Carm looking at the Seine. And then it cuts right to the bada bing sign and Silvio saying, wash that shit off her tits. And you're yeah. just like, oh, God, oh God. Yes. like, you know, um, yeah, I think that that's the sort of high low and that I think that obviously Edie Falco did amazing award winning work on this show. And I think this episode, you really see why, you know, mm-hmm. um, she really understands that Carmela wants to be out of that seediness, but kind of doesn't at the same time mm-hmm. and fancies herself sort of an intellectual. And Ro kind of gets annoyed with her on the trip being like, can't we just enjoy ourselves? Why do you got to bring up all this death and all mm-hmm. this, you know, stuff? Mm-hmm. But also I think that Carmela is genuinely having profound moments in Paris. Like her mm-hmm. saying, who could have built this? And standing in the ruins and saying, all oh, those lives, it's so sad. You know, <laughs> like I relate to that travel experience. I don't have mobster husband back home, I don't you think. Don't? But like, <laughs> I don't know. I think when the show leaves its environment in whatever way, the stifling, awful, scariness of the, where we spend all our time on this show really becomes that much clearer. Yeah. And I think this episode probably does it better than any of the other ones. Yeah. And, and shows how complicated she is. As, yeah. Because I think that, like, you know, a lesser show, she's just like this victim, right? But she's yeah. kind of choosing to victimize herself. And she's also, you know, she's very aware of, like, the material comforts that she gets from yeah. Tony's line of work. Like, there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um but yeah, this is this is an episode that I hadn't thought about since I watched The Sopranos and I haven't rewatched it. Um, but this made me want to just because it's so it's so like rich. There's so much mm. in there. Like all of the little details are so good. The fur Elise ringtone really like ringing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out after that really, really brutal murder, murder scene. Mm. Um, the the Adriana dream. Like yeah. when she yeah. just Haunted appears. by Adriana and Cosette. Yeah. Cosette. Uh, like, know. no, that just like really got me. Um, just yeah, it's it's a show. It's another show that really rewards deep attention, um, yeah. obviously. And yeah, and there is more to see in it each time you go back yeah. um, because it's just so layered. There's a great, so um, there's a, I don't know if you got that far in the show, Chris, but there, um, Tony, sorry, spoiler, Tony gets All sh- of this, shot. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Tony gets shot by his cousin Junior, and yeah. there's a whole oh. episode where he's basically in a coma and yeah. he's having this weird coma dream and it gets very abstract. But he keeps seeing this light in the distance, kind of a lighthouse spinning. Uh-huh. And in this episode, Cold Stones, there's a scene where Carmela looks up at the Paris sky and it's the Eiffel Tower doing its spinning light, like calling back to that uh-huh. episode. They're kind of bound in this existential wrestling. It's exactly that kind of like detail and poeticism that I think, you know, when this episode aired, I think a lot of fans who always like The Sopranos just for shoot, shoot, bang, bang, whatever, were like, what is this? I think most fans of The Sopranos appreciated all of it, the show's depth. But like, mm-hmm. I have read this pointed out as one of the most boring episodes uh-huh. of the show ever because uh-huh. it's about a lady and a gay guy, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it's one of the most fascinating. And I also think it sets the tone for how the show ended. The show ended 
not in any sort of satisfactory, well, you know, traditionally satisfactory mm-hmm. way. Not in like a big climactic it, like no. shootout. Right. Or a big, style it's, sort of shootout. <laughs> it's a big existential question mark. Yeah. And I think this is where David Chase started kind of laying the groundwork for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I don't know. I feel, I feel like the dream, uh, the dream heavy episodes can be a little too opaque for me. But yeah. in this, I think that that is balanced, like the poeticism is balanced nicely with more like just like on the ground story development um, and that that's a nice balance. Yeah. I think it's also the first time, if I'm remembering correctly, that we've really seen Carmela grapple with the fact that she knows that Adriana didn't just like move yeah. away. Yeah. Like she know like one 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 day she's there and then she's never seen again. <laughs> like Carmela doesn't think she's she, on, like, she's in long term parking, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Like I think that Carmela having to come to some sort of conclusion about herself. And of course what it is is for the rest of the season, kind of she like, yeah, kind of goes back to does, the family. Does, does she know how uh, Rose's son died? Or like, well, that's the other thing. That's the other question. Yeah. Well, that's, oh, and so she the, brought that up at, at dinner, right? So yeah. you know, like, do you know who killed Rose's son? I don't know. I remember Vito, Rose's son. Vito oh, Vito killed Rose's son. I yeah. so I remember Rose's son getting so yeah. There's murdered. Just so much intertwining. Intertwining. Okay, and, and you Vito feel for these Rose people, son. but then you're like, wait a second, Vito killed Kill- that kid. Yeah, like he's not a good guy either. Roe is probably somewhat blameless i guess because yeah. her mobster husband's been dead for a long time and yes. you know but yeah it's a it's a complicated dark episode that i laugh at like you said um you know the tony tony t- evil guy but yeah very funny and james gandolfini is so james, good. he is really like he is an, so a, good you can see why like it's in the why it's on mount rushmore yeah yeah especially it, when like everyone who worked with him is like he wasn't like that at <laughs> Oh. Yes, which you uh, could also read about in a very uh, great story that we published on VanityFair.com yeah. earlier this year. Yeah. I love that. Wait, I have a question before we move on just for, because I'm going to, this definitely made me be like, okay, I have to go back and restart and finish the whole entire thing because it's so, so good. I didn't get the button with the thin club, the the photo of Vito, the, the very end of the episode. Was oh. that just like supposed to be like humanizing? And like he yeah, was like, th- he had this accomplishment once. He had a little mm-hmm. bit of like, I think this episode is almost people imagining what their life could be if they weren't part of this. Yes. Vito has had that earlier. Yes. Because um, Vito was never a terribly big character. He just kind of came up a few times. And Carmela obviously is going on this like trip of the mind. Like, um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just supposed to be like, oh, here's this like he had dreams. humanity once <laughs> humanity, that yeah. is now completely gone from the earth. Yes. Yeah. And he's cheery. And he had dreams. Uh, it's really yeah. good. Wow. Yeah, and the weight he lost. <laughs> weight. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> The soul, so I'm not tw- James tw- 21 grams, you know, <laughs> seven pounds. Uh. Still watching by Vanity Fair. We'll be back in a moment and we will talk about two more perfect episodes of TV drama. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run-Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, so uh, I love Prestige TV and I celebrate Prestige TV, but, but. I just but <laughs> I decided to go in a starkly different direction and I picked an episode of the one and only Grey's Anatomy. I picked It's the End of the World. It was season two, episode 16, the first of a two-parter episode. The original air date was February 5th, 2006. It was written by Shonda Rhimes and it was directed by Peter Horton. What's going on? Bomb in a body cavity. Man, oh my God, it's Billy's husband's open brain. All right, here is the synopsis. Intern Meredith Gray struggles to get out of bed as she has the impending sense that she's going to die today. I have a feeling. I get us. Yeah? Yeah. And? If you wait long enough, it passes. A quiet day at Seattle Grace Hospital is upended when a patient arrives with an unexploded bazooka rocket in his chest, and a paramedic, played by Christina Ricci, is holding it. What? <laughs> What's wrong? Hannah, I don't want you to move. Not your hand, not your body, not an inch. Okay. Meanwhile, Dr. Bailey goes into labor, and her husband gets into a car accident racing to the delivery, and McDreamy has to operate on him. What do we tell Bailey? Nothing. Let's just wait till I get in there and see how bad the damage is. Have something concrete to tell her. Yeah, no, he's upsetting her until we know. As the hospital gets evacuated, paramedic Ricci gets increasingly nervous and, in a moment of panic, pulls her hand out of his chest. It has to come out. No, you keep it there just a little while longer. Hannah. I have to! It ends on a tense cliffhanger with Meredith's hand now inside the patient. I know Grey's Anatomy gets a lot of flack, but there's a reason that it is the longest running TV drama of all time. And I think this episode perfectly encapsulates everything that is good about Grey's Anatomy and every aspect of why people were so obsessed with it. I cannot believe this was season two and it was already this bonkers. Okay, and before I get into just why it was good on like a, you know, textual and acting level, do you know how many people watched this episode? It aired after the Super Bowl. So this is how big the show was. Oh, Jesus, really? It it aired right after the Super Bowl. Uh, Guess how many people? I know the answer. Oh, well, you can't because guess. Because I read it. And then I, my mouth dropped open. Yeah. But Richard. But 25 million people. 38.1 million people. Can you imagine? That's imag- a lot of people. That's <laughs> like eight. What, that's how many times the size of New York? Is that yeah. like five? Like, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And just thinking in the 2023 landscape of like, we're like, oh my God, a show got two million viewers. That's amazing. Like, yeah. it's... It's like Mad Men barely cracked a million a week. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just to think about like it being, uh, you know, a part of the monoculture, part of the zeitgeist. Everyone was sitting on their couch after watching the 
the Super Bowl. Looking at Christina Ricci holding, <laughs> holding a man's a open abdomen. Huge for Christina Ricci. <laughs> huge. Yeah. She's so good. But literally watching Christina Ricci holding a live bazooka that could explode at any moment right. in a man's abdomen. And we were all locked in and we were all together on that journey and we were all in lockstep. I just think it was, I remember watching it as a kid and being like, my mind being blown because Grey's Anatomy, it's a soap opera. It's soapy. It's absurd. It's a medical drama that the the um, surgeries and the illnesses get increasingly insane. I mean, this is only sort of like skating the tip of the iceberg <laughs> right. of the ice in that for, way for where this show is going to go. But I think it it does it so well in this episode. And speaking of other episodes in terms of the layers, everyone we've got Meredith and McDreamy. He just left her. Derek just left her for Addison. Addison is going to deliver Bailey's baby. Bailey's husband gets into a car accident and he's not picking up his phone. And George is with Bailey and then Izzy and Alex. There are so many sticks. And then Christina and Burke, like, and they're all in the OR and they all could blow up at any second. And we still have time for people having sex. Sex. Alex and Izzy. At the hospital. Yeah. 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 In the midst of everything. A hundred percent. I will say, I so I I watched it again and I was like, I have to watch the second part too. I I, I I also, I I could not. It's just, it's I so... didn't. I was pretty sure that Meredith Grey didn't blow up in season two, but um, you know it's so funny. You mentioned the Super Bowl thing. I am now tinfoil hat convinced that's why it opens the way it does with the women. It opens a thousand, thousand percent. You're a thousand, you're a thousand percent, thousand percent right. to keep the guys watching. Wait, 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 babe. What is this? Is this what the show is? Because yeah, it's yeah. like three hot chicks in the show. Right, it's, yeah. right. That's kind of hack, but it right. actually makes so much and then sense. It's a, it's a brilliant move. Gay guy doing the dream, yeah. which is and fun, then it pays but, off at the end <laughs> of the second. At the end of the second part. Yes, when Meredith, there's a callback. There's a callback. A much oh, less okay. sexy shower in mm-hmm. part two. In yeah. part two. But After Kyle Chandler, spoiler alert, can goes I kaboom. Pink mist. Confess something? Yes. This is the first full episode of Grey's Anatomy I've ever seen. <gasps> you just oh, ate everything that I've ever picked. Yeah, because um, <laughs> yeah, last week I had not seen BoJack Horseman. So watching but, it, were you like, I? this is not for me, but I get who it's for? I will say this. I think you had to be there maybe a little bit. <laughs> um I I guess I kind of thought it was a more mopey drama. Like I thought it was kind of party of five. Like everyone's mm. kind of teary eyed all oh, the time. No, there's oh, a no, lot of sexy. like yeah. hijinks music. Hijinks there's a lot of hijinks sex. music. The TR Knight character is like a lot goofier than I thought he was mm-hmm. going to be. Chandra Wilson's character is a little goofier. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a sad thing in this episode. Um, but you know, I have to say, I know it's problematic. Catherine Heigl just had this like radiant charm about yeah. her that like I can totally see why she became the movie star of mm-hmm. the bunch yeah. you know for a brief <laughs> brief for a spell, spell. Yeah. thanks thanks to be thanks to be a fairly brief yeah. moment yeah. for yeah. A, a brief moment um, but no I mean I think it was compelling uh, it was fun to see Richie there yeah I guess like it was it was a good example because I knew it was like there was voiceover a lot from Meredith sexual like romantic hijinks mixed with medical drama i just i guess i was never really sure what the balance was yeah and this is probably a more like post super they're like up the ante for this yes. one right it's not but in that, every yeah. i would say in every yeah way they up the ante like the stakes of like the medical was higher the sex was there's probably less sex uh, in mm-hmm. a way than normal just because there was less time yeah but the fact that there is like yeah that there is a bomb inside of a man <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. right which is such like it, was, it does kind of contort itself into like making this very insane thing seem like quasi plausible like yeah. how could this bomb have ended up inside of this man like why would he hard. still be alive you can't think too you hard. Think you too just hard gotta go it. along. Like, and then of course he's in an operating room filled with oxygen. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like so such like like drama 
layered on drama, on drama. On drama, on drama. And yet I find it, I just love the actors. I mean, Sandra Oh is so good and she's so good on the show. And this is not nearly really a Sandra Oh episode. I could mm-hmm. get into my my favorite episodes really of all time. And I would say this is not gonna my favorite episode. We're going to do still watching spinoff. <laughs> yeah. Grey's Anatomy. Yo, yeah. do you have like 12 <laughs> years, million hours? Yeah, right. 12 years right. to do it. Um, but the I think the performances for what the show is really came through Sandra Oh, Christina Ricci, Kyle Chandler did a great job. Both Kyle Chandler and Christina Ricci nominated for guest actor in a drama series. Mm. Emmys for Deservedly. This. Deservedly. And I would say, yeah, so it's not my favorite episode of Grey's Anatomy, uh, but I do think it's a perfect episode of Grey's Anatomy, which is a perfect episode of television in that it really encapsulates the whole series in one sort of 45-minute swoop. And it's the stakes have never been, the stakes are never higher. And it was like sort of the peak. This was like the pinnacle, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the show maybe even got bigger in like season three or season four. But to me, this was like. Yeah. The, and this is like season two is like when like Catherine Heigl got her Emmy. Yes. Like this, this was like when Grey's Anatomy like was. Was television. Yeah. And interesting of ABC to program a women led drama after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Credit to them. I mean, yeah. obviously, they they made them throw in some some stuff. Like there better be there better be I mean, bombs the, and boobs. Like, yeah. like the most boobs you can have yeah. on a network television right. show. Right, exactly. And I'm sure, like, it's just a, it's like a lot of collarbone. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure, like Heigl and Sandra O oh and um, Ellen Pompeo, Ellen Pompeo Ellen was also very we're, good. We're, we're kind of like, okay, we got to do that. Like <laughs> yeah. you're paying us so yeah. much. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they will for years and years. And Ellen yeah. is, and she's really good, and she's a good grounding force. She's, I, I, yeah. Are you like still her. a watcher of the show? No, I made it to like season 13 or 14. That's, a lot. that's that's commitment, though. Yeah, but it was sort of like, by the end, it was in and out, you know. And then for a very special episode, you know, I'll dip back in, but I can't say that I that I still watch, but I do still respect it. I still right. I still have a love in my heart for Look, the it's, series. it's incredible that it's still going. <laughs> so wait, okay, can, so um, before we move on, I'm curious, like, just so I can orient myself. So obviously, Addison, played by Kate Walsh, yeah. uh, is McDreamy's wife. yes. Is she, but I thought so, but he and Meredith have a thing in the first season yeah. and then she comes back. The yeah, wife so comes back. Addis- Addison and McDreamy are estranged because she cheated on him. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. he's fine. So he's actually a good yeah, guy. He's morally, <laughs> he's morally yes. okay. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. And then she comes to Seattle yeah. and then the man that she cheated on him with also comes to McSteen. Seattle. Is, oh, oh, that's Eric Dane. That's Eric Dane. Yes. Oh, and McSteen. then when does Addison <laughs> leave he, to start her then, private practice? And then Eric Dane <laughs> falls in love with Meredith's secret sister. Lexi, who isn't even here yet. And then, and Lexi dies in a Plane crash, right? Yes, yes. which Meredith so is also does on. McSteamy. McSteamy. Oh, McSteamy dies in yeah, a plane crash? Yeah, they both die in a plane crash. The same plane crash? The same plane crash, and they renamed <laughs> oh the hospital God. the Sloan Memorial. The Sloan the McSteamy is, Memorial Hospital. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Gray, gray, Sloan, gray Memorial. Sloan Memorial Hospital. And that's also where Arizona loses her leg. <laughs> oh, Arizona, right? I've Arizona. Because we haven't even gotten to Cali. We haven't even gotten to Sarah Ramirez. We haven't even to Sarah Ramirez. Still watching Star Wars. Yeah, it's just... It's when does McSteamy go and do all those horrible things to those kids in Euphoria? I do think that they could be... They could be in a shared universe. Okay. Yeah, so 100%. we've just spoiled all of Grey's Anatomy for you folks. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's like Sorry. the first 10 seasons. There's so much more to go. There have been 19 seasons <laughs> oh since this. Stuff. And there's a musical episode too, Richard, that you have to get into. <laughs> oh my God. All right, I have to go immediately and start, start this journey. I'll see you in a couple years. Yeah, yeah I come back with a long gray beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the things you've seen. <laughs> Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, it's Hillary's pick for perfect TV drama. And if you are watching this video, 
either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Our final pick for perfect TV episode drama comes from Hillary. Okay, so my pick, I will admit, is a little basic if you're talking about the critical consensus. However, I still think that there is a case to be made for this being like the best episode of TV of like the past 20 years. So Mm. we are about to talk about Mad Men. Season four, episode seven, The Suitcase, written by Matthew Weiner, directed by Jennifer Getzinger. It originally aired on September 5th, 2010. So, where are we on Samsonite? We'll have something to show you in the morning. But the suspense is killing me. Here's a recap. Don Draper opts to skip watching the big Muhammad Ali fight so that he can help work late on a Samsonite suitcase campaign. He ropes in Peggy to help. I gave you more responsibility and you didn't do anything. That you like. We did work a lot. I don't care if you work 10 seconds. If you bring me something, I like. We're going to do this right now. Peggy picks work, a.k.a. Dawn, over the surprise birthday dinner her boyfriend has decided to throw for her. How the hell are you mad at me? Because you used my birthday to get in good with a bunch of people who drive me crazy. Should I have invited Dawn? You never stand him up. Dawn and Peggy's relationship is unpacked as they go on an emotional journey and air their grievances. That's the way it works. There are no credits on commercials. But you got the Cleo. It's your job. I give you money, you give me ideas. And you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. Don gets news that another woman he had a complicated relationship with, Anna Draper, has died. <laughs> the only person in the world who really knew me. And by morning, Don creates a Samsonite campaign based off the iconic image of Ali standing over a knocked-out Sonny Liston. Go home, shower, and come back and give me ten taglines. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, part of me feels sheepish for— obviously, you have to have Mad Men on a best TV list. When it comes to the best episode of Mad Men, like, you could go— you could try to, like— outthink people. You could try to go for something that's maybe less expected. But like going back and looking at the series, like it is really tough to beat the suitcase. It's got such great center of Don and Peggy. Their relationship is the uh, is explored. It's uh, it's enriched. Um, They ended in a different place where they began it. You learn a lot about both of them and their relations to each other and how their ambitions are similar and, you know, how their background, how their lives are similar and the ways in which they're different. And yeah, I just I I do feel like this is an episode that gets at what made Mad Men so good um, just in one single hour. Yeah, I've seen this episode a few times. It's really extraordinary. Peggy has always been I don't mean this in an oppositional way, the sort of foil to Don on Mm -hmm. the show. And this episode, you know, four seasons in, like it really unites them in a way that I think is the show perhaps like, like revealing its heart the most. Um, but it's still kind of dark and sad and, and, and like booze fueled and all that stuff. But I, I love particularly 
I mean, how would you classify the, this relationship? It's not exactly paternal, filial. It's certainly not romantic. It's Is it more like brother-sister kind of? Like, I don't know. But like whatever the dynamic is, I think is so well articulated in this episode. Like, because Don screws all of his other secretaries and that's how Peggy started and he didn't with her and it's not because she's ugly. It's because he respects her in a way that mm. reveals something negative about Don's character. Peggy is kind of short with her annoying boyfriend. Like, <laughs> I just think it's such a complicated two-hander character piece that, um, yeah, it's probably one of the best episodes of the show. So now it's my turn to to, to uh, admit that I had never seen an episode of Mad Men. Oh, so wait, then before, you must have. I, I feel like before, of, okay, so then of all of the episodes we picked, I feel like this has the least context. Or did you feel like you got enough of what was going on? I do feel like I got enough of what was going on. I do, I definitely had some questions and it definitely made me want to watch the series. So it's the 1960s. <laughs> there are these things called ads. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I really appreciate it. It felt like in many instances, a play, like a two-hander play mm-hmm. yeah. with Peggy and, and Don. And I really appreciated that. And I do feel like I totally, if not totally, but I really was fascinated by their dynamic because ha- have not knowing what happened at all, uh, at the end when they held hands, I was like, is this sexual? Because it didn't really feel sexual and it did feel father-daughter at some points and then maybe brother-sister. I thought there was maybe a sexual aspect at, at the end too, but that could totally be me just not having the mm-hmm. context of their relationship. Well, if you want to go then. off and write your fan fiction now, yeah. it's a safe space. Yeah. Peggy and Don. But I really, I really enjoyed it and I honestly was really taken by John Hamm. I, I know that's probably basic to say, but I do remember everybody like beating the drum, like, where is his Emmy? Where is his Emmy for years? He didn't win until the very end. But he didn't win until the very end. And I was like, oh, now I see why people were so upset that he didn't get his flowers. this Emmy is actually the one where he submitted this. He was was actually beaten by Bomb Squad man Kyle Chandler. (laughs) Oh, but not for Bomb Squad, but for FNL, which I did love. I loved FNL. John Hamm has not had a role like this since. He refuses to do a serious part like this, really. I mean, I know maybe he's tried. I don't know. But like, yeah, he's incredible in this episode. So the context you might be missing is that the woman who died is... So he took someone else's identity yeah. and this this is that guy's wife or widow, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, the and she knows yeah. what he did. Yeah. And and like he says to Peggy, she's the only person who, who truly knew me. Yes. Yeah. So that's what he meant by um, that. I read yeah. I read it. I mean, then he also after. meant it in other ways. Like yeah. and I think that and I think that not in a cynical way, maybe I don't know if you agree, Hillary, but like Don isn't like auditioning Peggy to be his replacement in that regard. Yeah. But he is saying, like, I I do need someone in my life. Yeah. To whom I can confide. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. and it's more weighted by the fact that Don also, this is a spoiler, but Don also had a brother who died and it's and Don kind of blames himself for mm-hmm. that. And so there's like, yeah, there's a lot of like weight and there's a lot of history and there's a lot of baggage uh-huh. okay. um, of the suitcase. Of the suitcase, which I, and I did not know any of that really when I watched it. And yet I was still like very compelled and emotionally moved, particularly by the, the diner scene. Mm-hmm. I thought was really fantastic. I'd like to go to Greece. I'd like to just go on a plane. I've never been. Is that right? I've heard about it, obviously. I've seen it in the movies. It's an incredible idea, flying. I remember on the way to Korea. They told us how many thousand feet in the air we were. There was some other kid there. More of a yokel than me, even. And he screamed, Man wasn't meant to fly! 
Yeah, just like contrasting the two of them, like they do both like he is now, you know, this like picture of like mid-century success, but like mm-hmm. had very humble beginnings. And, you know, yes. she's now like never even been on a plane. She's just getting started. She's just getting started. He's kind of on his like way down because he's just, you know, becoming this alcoholic mess. He'd recently got divorced, which mm-hmm. you didn't know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Betty. Jen, yeah. Right. Betty Draper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then them talking about both seeing their their fathers die. That was really mm-hmm. sort of poignant. And in the way that um, Peggy talked about what I, I assumed was an abortion. And saying that she only thought about it. Oh no, no. Oh no, not that wasn't it. Oh my god, Chris. I don't know anything. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so excited. Oh for my you. god, I'm no. gonna have to go back and watch that. That's all a of very everything. complicated matter. Oh, that's yes. very that, complicated. And, and you might want to pay attention to the scene with Alison Brie in the bathroom. Okay, because yes. she says 26 is yeah. that old. I, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh man, but Alison Brie in the bathroom, I gotta say, she has like 90 seconds of screen time and She's she great. just like Incredible. is so good. This was when she was on Community and Mad Men at the very same time, like run, literally running between the two sets. <laughs> That's fantastic. In order the range, to film. The um, <laughs> my father loves blood sport. It's like such a funny line. And she delivers I want a raw so- steak and watch them pound each other. <laughs> She's so good. Yeah. And, and that's the thing when you're talking about the, the Cold Stones, the Sopranos of it all. Like, uh, obviously, you know, um, Matt Weiner wrote on Sopranos, like that mixing of really heavy drama with pointed comedy. I mean, there are some jokes thrown by some of the other ad guys in this that are like really brutal, but like the, the, the old secretary uh, mm. says mm-hmm. something really about, horrible. Yeah, yeah racist. Racist line about the yeah. And you're like, oh, Very I don't racist. know how that would play now. But uh, like there is also genuinely funny stuff like the th- the joke about the Greek diners and um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just I think the show at its best and the suitcase is definitely the show at its best, like is such a beguiling mix of heavy drama workplace not exactly comedy but workplace kind of something approaching comedy and also this other third thing this metaphysical murmur that is you know like the sopranos that this episode stares at head on in mm-hmm. a way that i i really appreciate i mean don sees a ghost yeah, yeah. you know and i think that's um I like when the show takes a big swing. Yeah, like and this. it also doesn't put too fine a point on like the period setting. Like it Mm-mm. finds it finds like a real life event to kind of tack a story onto. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know these characters actually would care about this fight between yeah. uh, Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali. Like uh, who at that point they would not call Muhammad yeah, Ali. Yeah, they call Cassius Yeah. Um, and it finds you know it decides like this is going to be Peggy's birthday, but it doesn't feel like heavy handed. It doesn't feel shoehorned in. It's not like. Yeah, it's it's not like making references for the sake of references. Like it does feel like what this group of people in the '60s would actually be paying attention to, and like the things that they would be doing and saying. And, and yeah, them like Don not liking Cassius Clay. I was like, oh, that feels very typical. That feels like mm-hmm. he'd like Sonny Liston, and that. Yeah, and it says so much about his character yeah, too that he's, he's like, a, uh, he's, he's a showboat. He's yeah, like, he runs his mouth. He like, runs his mouth. Yeah. Oh, I love that they made an ad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do they make an ad in every episode? It's they it's like, not a procedural okay. in that way exactly. Um, but it is nice that it <laughs> they, does result. Is this result in a real ad? Yeah, in like, an ad that seems very I think plausible. It is, I'm assuming based on, because like Weiner does careful, I think that mm-hmm. probably what must have been a real ad. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know for sure. I probably should have looked that up. But like. Um, it definitely feels like it could have benefited. Yeah. And the way that they arrive at it and it's not even like it would be, there's an episode earlier in the show called The Carousel where they're kind of, is what are they advertising? Like the photo slide the, the, right, yeah. projector thing. Yeah. And that that is Don having this epiphany moment and pitching something that is based on his experience. The Samsonite ad in this is not really informed by what Don and Peggy are going through, but like, you know, there is something about like them fighting through it and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like, well, it, there's a point. Fight. There's a poignancy to it too that like he only could have had this idea after the fight was over. Like they didn't have to do an all nighter. <laughs> 
Like he could have just come up with this right. the, next the next day. day. Right. That's true. That's because that yeah because of the photograph. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, it's really good. I, I, I watching it this time. The way that John Hamm makes the drinking feel so palpable, like this mm-hmm. mounting, like, and you're like, Oof. oh, he's really far gone. And then he has like four more drinks yeah. before yeah. he throws up. And you're just like, and I love when he's at the diner and he takes a sip of water. And he goes, oh, I don't want water. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's such a good, he like and, never hydrates. Yeah, yeah. This, this episode also really like kind of helps. I mean, the whole series, I guess, is sort of like deconstructing like the idea of Don Draper. Um, yeah. And this episode like really, you know, gets at like beneath the like romantic exterior. He's this like a sad alcoholic mess, like with like the vomit on his shirt when yeah. he's like lying on the couch. When he swings and misses that guy's face that yeah. was really uh, funny what do you oh think? Yeah. yeah this is I, this is uh, the best episode of television to include <laughs> someone trying to take a shit on yeah. Roger on Sterling's his, couch yeah, yeah. on a couch yeah. that was that fight was really I was expecting Don to absolutely whoop his ass but no he's too drunk to do it he no just, there is a man more pathetic than Don yeah. Yeah, and his name is Duck um, I think that Hillary you're saying about like Don being this like messy alcoholic sado like Peggy is the only person who will even halfway go to toward calling him that you know yeah. like mm-hmm. i love when she says like how long are you going to keep this to keep this up like mm-hmm. what 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 is this life that you you're like you're you're a mess and um don clearly craves someone in his life telling him that and this was you know the woman who died and maybe yeah. peggy's the new one that's not really how the show shakes yeah. out exactly but yeah i think any time like like sopranos the, the mad men can be a very lonely show it's about people who are unhappy and sort of atomized from each other mm-hmm. and an episode like this where they people come together and they actually talk and they have fun and they bond but it's not too schmaltzy it's so well done yeah mm. Yeah, it's really, watching it again, it's just like, there is not a show like this anymore. Like, I just, I, I'm like craving a Mad Men-esque show, something that just has like such a like heavily populated universe of characters with all of these different people and you know all of their names, you know all of their stories. Like, you get the impression that like for whatever his faults are, like Matthew Weiner could tell you like who like Pete's second grade teacher was. Like, right. it, there, it just right. feels like a very real world um, and just like a place that you don't necessarily want to live in because the people are so sad, but like you want to immerse yourself in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, there is not something that scratches a similar itch right now yeah. that I can yeah. think of. And Chris, if it's a teaser at all, um, that racist old secretary, yeah. one of the most beautiful lines of the sh- of the whole series is said about her. <laughs> That's I true. I think later in this season. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, would, I yeah. definitely did not yeah. expect yeah. that. Okay. Did, I have did, to you, watch. did you catch that she's the one who Roger slept with, was talking about sleeping with when he they oh, listened to his memoir? They, they, yeah. I didn't put that together, but I, I do now Back when she was that, when she was like yeah. a young thing, yeah. when she yeah. was like a yeah. pretty, yeah. So yeah, wow. if we did like Mad Men beginnings in like the 1930s, like. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God, maybe they did a prequel series. Oh, some sort of exact at AMC Plus just keeled over. <laughs> They're like really running. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for this episode of Still Watching. Please send us your questions, concerns, uh, anything else. Email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com or find me on the site formerly known as Twitter at Hillabuster with two R's. And you can find me at Christress. And I'm at Rylaws. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Looking forward to seeing you then. I've been watching boxing since I was a little girl. My father loves blood sport.
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.